Well, good morning, community of faith. How are we doing this morning? Good. Glad to hear it. If you're at home, we're glad that you're watching online. I dare say that my message today is probably some things that you've never heard before that are going to change your life. All right. I want to talk to you about the most powerful tools that Laura and I have found to take your marriage to the next level. And I would dare say that most of us here, 96, 7% of us have never even heard of these. We're going to start with a pop quiz because I know you love pop quizzes, right? So just kind of think about this. I'm going to, I've got a lot of questions that are there. If you go, you know, to the app and you want to follow along, you can look at that. But I'm going to kind of skip through a few of them uh, because there's like 20 something questions, but I'm going to ask you a few of them. So let's see how you do, all right? Rate yourself from one to five. One is, I never do this or I'm really terrible at it. Five is, I always do this and it comes really easily to me, all right? Here's the first one. I experience relationships rather than things as a source of relief when I'm stressed. Relationships rather than things. Here's another one. I can list eight feelings I experience on a regular basis. How are you doing there? And you know, you say angry, very angry, very, very angry. That's not three, okay? All right. In fact, anger, I'm not even gonna let you use anger because there's something behind anger. So how are you doing with that one, right? I can identify and articulate these feelings with my spouse and kids. I use my feelings to identify my needs and I'm able to communicate my needs and ask directly for what I need rather than hoping someone sitting next to me will guess correctly. I know my childhood history, so I'm aware when the past is influencing my my present feelings and causing me to overreact. I know you don't overreact, but I'm aware of my spouse's behavior when he or she is stressed and can take measures to slap them up, no, to bring him or her relief, all right? I can accept criticism and feedback and thoughtfully consider it. I say no and draw boundaries even when it makes someone mad. How are you doing so far? I know how to use my anger to identify more vulnerable feelings underneath the anger and communicate the more vulnerable things. That's what we talked about earlier. I can control the level of my reactivity so I'm able to stay engaged in difficult conversations. How's that go for you? I can keep listening and explore another's feelings, experiences, and point of view, even when I disagree with him or her. I can ask to be held or hugged when I need comfort. I'm not afraid of conflict because I have the skills to compromise, negotiate, and usually resolve conflict. I don't hold on to resentments. That's why I haven't talked to my spouse in three days. Now I'm able to forgive my spouse. I don't have secrets I'm keeping from my spouse. I can ask for a do-over and try again when I blow it with my spouse. So you're looking at that, you're going like, I had a lot of twos and ones maybe. You feel that? And 
How many, did anybody get like all fives? Because if you did, you probably like need to talk to your husband or wife and let them take the test for you, right? Maybe you've tried to fix your marriage and you've just been so discouraged. Just keep snapping back to those old habits, those old ways. And I think that so much of therapy these days is treating the symptoms that we feel. It's kind of the surface stuff, but really the things that we need to get to, it's kind of like an iceberg. There's only a little bit of it that's above the surface and that's what we see and that's what we work on, but there's a big part of it that's down underneath. It wasn't the top part that sunk the Titanic, was it? It was that big underneath that just ground through the bottom part of that ship and that's what's happening to our marriages. I think Laura and I were stuck in our marriage for a long time going back to those same old frustrating places. But then we discovered what I'm gonna introduce today and I'm gonna unpack it. Laura and I are gonna unpack it together even more during the marriage workshop. So we'll put occasionally the marriage workshop info up there on the screen that you can text to and sign up. It's two weeks away. It's free. It lasts for four weeks. So you'll want to be a part of that. And so you'll come to this 930 service and then, or we have it at 930, right? We have it at 930 and then you will go to the 1130 service. Okay. So we'll have it over in the NPR while the service here is going on. The concepts come from God's word directly. They work. And it's interesting to me that we haven't ever really seen them before. And what's really cool is that they also come from the latest neuroscience and from a couple of theories. One's called attachment theory. The other is called family systems, internal family systems theory. And they're pretty new theories, but I think it's interesting that it only took neuroscience and psychology 2,000 years to catch up with God's word on marriage. A lot of the things I'm sharing with you today come from the book, How We Love. So, so let's dive in. I want to introduce you to some of this life-changing stuff. I'm not going to go into detail this morning on the tools. We're going to do that in the workshop, okay? And I'm telling you, this is what took Laura and I to a whole new place after years of marriage. But I'm going to introduce them today. So what do I want you to get out of this morning? I want you to get hope, hope. Because some of you are here going like, is it really going to be like this for the rest of my life? Is this what it is? You know, if I do the biblical thing and stay with him, I'm going to have to, oh my gosh, this is excruciating, God. You know, what's the deal? Well, I want you to get hope because it doesn't have to always be like that. In fact, I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's the great love chapter. We know we always, when we talk about love, we bring that out at every marriage, we bring that out. And it's like, love is, and it's actions. Love isn't a feeling. It's not a feeling that you can lose. It's actions that you do. That's what the Bible is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own way. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. But right in the middle of that chapter, we see this. And I've never, for the longest time in my life, I never understood why Paul, in the middle of the love chapter, also wrote this in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and following. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, 
that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. All right, Paul, well, that's neat that you did that, but why is that in the love chapter? There's a really specific reason why that's in the love chapter. Paul knew something that psychology just discovered a few years back. Psychologists call it attachment theory. And here's what it really is. The discomforts and the, the, even the fights that you have in your primary relationships, especially your marriage relationship, didn't start with them. It started in childhood. See, your lessons in love didn't start in marriage. Your lessons in how to love started in infancy and all those years that you lived with your parents. Our experiences growing up, good and bad, they left a lasting imprint on our souls. And they determined our beliefs, they determined our expectations about how to give love, how to receive love. Now, like Laura and I, we had very different lessons growing up about love which resulted in very different imprints, which resulted in a lot of conflict. So our imprint determines our love style and how we interact with others when we love, when it comes to love. You know, maybe some of you had the perfect ideal home, but most people, 99.9% of us in here had either maybe a a pretty good home or not so good home, but there were some things that could have been better. And we'll talk about that, okay? Attachment theory explains the root causes of why I was always pursuing Laura and she was always distancing, which really made me feel very unsure of myself. And attachment theory uh, revealed why I was always trying to gauge the temperature of our, our marriage, you know, she'd be watching TV and I'm just watching her like, is she, what's she, how's she today, you know? And, and I would ask all the time and she would say, can we just watch the show, you know? And it would kind of hurt my feelings. I was always trying to connect and connection wasn't really Laura's thing, you know? And she was in fact, fairly oblivious to it. I only count on myself for comfort was her life motto, right? And it explained the the root of both my anxiety and her irritation. I remember telling a counselor, I never felt this frustrated with anybody before. It has to be her. She's making my life miserable. It's got to be her fault, but actually that wasn't true at all because marriage or our primary relationships simply cause our own childhood imprints, some of them injurious, Uh, and resulting love styles that come out of that to come fully into the light. In fact, our marriage relationships simply shine the spotlight on those old attachment injuries. But here's the good news. This is one of the reasons why God created marriage because we can, if we learn these tools, we can heal each other. We can be a part of God's healing. God does the healing, but we can be a part of that healing and those wounds that we have that come from life. When you discover the roots of your relational struggles, you can change how you love each other. Now, some of you are going, so is this gonna be a sermon on blaming my parents, you know? 
No, it's not a sermon on blaming your parents. I'm not trying to blame, but I'm trying to explain. And it's really important that we get this because our world is broken. And so all of us had some different experiences growing up. Attachment theory is not that hard to understand. Simply put, what bothers you the most about your spouse is undoubtedly related to painful experiences from his or her childhood and a lack of training in addressing the true problems, the true challenges of marriage. So your problems didn't begin in marriage. So how are you gonna solve them in your marriage? You and your spouse are doing dance steps that you learned in childhood. I was raised in an amazing Christian home that had so many positive qualities. My mom and dad were amazing in almost every way, almost. You see, my mom was the adult child of an alcoholic. And so in her growing up, love meant being somewhat overprotective. She was one of the older kids protecting the other ones and controlling. My dad's dad committed suicide when he was 13 and he had some issues that rolled out from that. I I didn't understand some of my parents' emotions and relational stresses. So I kind of developed a codependency and a separation anxiety early in life. When Laura learned the origin of my fear, she had so much more compassion for me. When, when I would start to get agitated, when, when she was distant from me, she was able to become more patient and more loving when my anxiety was triggered. And even I understood myself better as I listened to Laura's memories, I began to understand why she seemed detached and distant at times and why she valued self-sufficiency you know, uh, above all else. And I felt a whole lot less rejected and anxious when this happened. Once I began to understand that this was a response that she had learned as a child, much of the irritation we had toward each other just began to kind of leak away and be replaced with a new compassion. So let me ask you the most powerful question of attachment theory. And here it is, are you ready for it? You've probably never been asked this ever in your life before. Can you recall being comforted as a child in a time of emotional distress? Can you recall being comforted as a child after a time of emotional distress? And your answer to this question will potentially reveal just mountains of information about your relationships. Now realize I'm not talking about when you fell down and scraped your knee. I'm not talking about when you had the flu that time, okay? I'm looking for a time when you were significantly upset and a parent offered consolation and relief. A lot of you are thinking right now, well, I had a happy childhood. I I, I can't remember even ever needing comfort, you know? I mean, I think my parents did great. All of us need comfort at times. Let me give you some examples. Maybe it was a time when um, during your first 18 years of life, doesn't have to be a major trauma. Maybe you broke up with a boyfriend. How did your family handle that? Did they tease you? I think my dad said something one time when I was, something was going on. He said, ah, it's just puppy love dog face or something like that. You know, Um, he was just kidding around with me. 
didn't help a whole lot, but did you receive comfort or just teasing? Or maybe your best friend moved away. Or maybe you were disappointed because you didn't make the baseball team. Or perhaps a good friend hurt you or betrayed you. Or maybe you faced something a little more serious like a a learning disability. How did your parents do with that with you? A divorce, a death, or maybe even verbal or physical or sexual abuse that left you confused, upset, and in need of comfort. Whatever happened to you at a specific time during your childhood, you experienced either comfort from your pain or the stark absence of comfort. And that representative memory influences your current relationships completely. See, sometimes people who haven't experienced real soul level comfort have trouble understanding even exactly what it is. Let me ask this question related to that. How was conflict handled in your family? For example, was there a time when you weren't getting along very well with one of your parents or or, or when stress or a, a specific problem caused a lot of tension in the family? Did the disagreement leave you feeling alone, disconnected from the family? See, if you were fortunate enough to be a part of the one or 2% of families in America today that acknowledged problems and successfully resolved them, you learned an important lesson. When conflict ruptures a relationship, repairing it brings relief. If not, when you go wrong in your relationships today, you may have difficulty expressing yourself or finding solutions or feeling relief. Some of you are going like, I don't even know for sure what you're talking about with comfort. Well, there's three critical ingredients of comfort. So I want you to think back over your childhood and see if you had these. The number one part of comfort is touch. Significant studies have shown the incredible importance of touch on a baby's development. We all know that. Do you have a memory of your parents hugging or holding you? Was there a tenderness? Were you soothed? Now, a lot of parents touch and hold babies and toddlers, but then kind of get like, I'm really uncomfortable now that my little girl's 13, you know, I don't know what to do with her now. She's kind of a woman. I don't know exactly, you know, guys, I, I don't, you know, fathers are going like, I don't know for sure how to do this, but touch remains important and vital even as children get older. Second, listening. Does your parents listen? Was at least one of your parents able to listen and help you talk about what was upsetting you. Parents who are good listeners, they ask questions so they can understand what's going on in a child's heart. Some parents only ask these kind of questions. Did you clean your room? Or who ate the ice cream? Or what did you do to your little brother? Yeah, we got those kind of questions, right? But hopefully there were also inquiries about What was happening in your heart? You look really sad today. What's going on? What's bothering you? I know you don't want to go to this thing, but help me understand, why not? These kinds of requests are a total different thing. They tell us someone is interested in our hearts. And it's even better when the the feelings we share are confirmed as reasonable or appropriate or understandable. If your parent said something like, now I can see why you're so sad. Or you know what, I would be that, I would be so mad too if that happened to me. 
in your memory of comfort, did your parents listen? Did they ask questions? Did they accept your feelings? See, we often feel we have done good when we offer reassurance, but we miss the opportunity to really listen. I read this week about a, a, a man in therapy trying to comfort his wife. They were crying. She was crying about a rebellious teen, and he kept telling her, honey, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. He, he, he'll grow out of it. He was trying to help, but it never occurred to him to ask questions to find out more about what was going on inside of her and to validate her tears. The therapist asked him just to hold her and tell her, it's okay to cry because this is a tough time as a parent. This really hurts, doesn't it? With arms of comfort, permission to feel she cried even harder, but then she quieted down. The therapist helped him to ask some questions that clarified what was upsetting her the most and they both left feeling connected. And then a third part of comfort is relief. Did you feel relief? When we were children, if someone noticed we were having a hard time and it was, they offered us a safe place to share our troubles, we felt valued and valuable and seen, being touched and listened to brings relief. If we felt sad and our, our parents listened to what was troubling us and held us as we cried, we were soothed. If we were able to express our frustration and someone listened and responded, we felt this comfort, this relief. If a parent assured us that someone bigger and stronger would keep us safe, we were undoubtedly comforted. But see, comfort isn't possible unless an emotional connection is made. If you have memories of being consoled, it's safe to assume that both you and your family were encouraged and encouraged each other to express your feelings and then respond when you were hurting. Talking about your inner emotions and experiences helped your parents to know who you were. They really knew you, but there's also another benefit. It helped you to know yourself. Well, what if you don't have a memory of comfort? You're thinking, well, I thought maybe I did, but now that I'm listening, I don't really remember, you know, a whole lot of comfort in my family, actually. Well, if you can't recall a specific memory of being comforted, you're in good company. Uh, one survey recently with couples tells us that at least 75% of the adults surveyed do not have a single memory of receiving comfort from a primary caregiver when they were children. And you might be wondering, well, what's the big deal, Mark? I mean, why is this question so important? I mean, I don't get it. Actually, your answer to the comfort question reveals a great deal about what's going on in your marriage right now. Because if your parents touched you and listened to you and validated you and heard you and saw you, they gave you what I would call soul words. What's going on inside of your soul? You see, your spouse can't know what's going on in your soul unless you tell them. They can guess, but they're probably gonna be wrong. In fact, they're gonna probably make up some wild guesses that out of their background that just like I thought, well, Laura is not that interested in me or she's, I don't understand what's going on. I thought she really, you know, loved me, wanted to be with me, but she seems a little disinterested now. See, positive 
experiences growing up are like great dance lessons that teach us how to successfully navigate relationships later in life. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's what it's talking about, actually. We're not born knowing how to understand and express what's inside our souls. So we have to learn that. We have to notice and then be aware and then find the soul words to be able to express it. And being fully known and understood, it, it requires that we say aloud to someone else what's going on in our souls. But some of us have no idea what's going on in our souls because in our family of origin, we didn't even have a lot of feelings. We just talked about the Astros a lot, you know? So for each of us, it, it, it's gonna be different. I read this week uh, about a man struggling in his marriage and he told the counselor, he said, I remember missing a, a fly ball at Little League when I was just 10 years old. And this guy's like 40 years old, okay? He said, my dad was watching we lost the game when I dropped the ball, hit right in the glove. I had it and plopped out and they scored and won. He said, I, I held back my tears until I, I, I got in the car. But once I got in the car and none of my friends were around, I just broke down crying. My dad looked at me and said, crybabies never win games. Since then, I've never shown him any feelings at all. See, this man carried shame with him his entire life, when he needed comfort, he'd only gotten pain. Now, his dad probably didn't realize he was imprinting on him in that moment, but he, he, he did. And when feelings of sadness or fear are forced to go underground, sometimes anger becomes the only acceptable emotion. And it's because it's not vulnerable. Is there a lot of anger in your marriage? See, that's the least vulnerable Emotion. That means, nope, can't come in here. You're going to hurt me. So I'm going to put anger out here because it's not vulnerable. But anger is not even the real emotion. Usually it's some kind of hurt. In fact, when Laura and I first started trying to learn this, we realized that we didn't know much about feelings at all. In fact, because we both grew up in, you know, really good Baptist homes, you know, we had the joy, 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 joy down in our heart, right? And so, you know, we didn't want to feel anger. That wasn't good. You didn't want to, you know, not trust. That would be like a sin, right? So we realized that we didn't know much about emotions at all. We actually had, and I'm going to give you this in the workshop, an emotion wheel. And we'd have to go, look, I was like, I'm really angry. And then under anger, it would lead down to, oh, I'm hurt. But why am I hurt? And Oh, I feel betrayed right now. It took a lot of practice. You know, we kind of had to put that up on the fridge. Hang on, I'm gonna tell you what I'm thinking right now. Just hang on a minute, run over to the fridge, you know? It also helped because you could like, you know, get food out while you were doing it. But, you know, when parents are either unaware of their own feelings or, or unable to express them appropriately, they're gonna struggle to, to form a healthy emotional connection with their children. Gina is another example. I read about her this week. Really sensitive, a lot of emotions. Her mom wasn't good with emotions and her mom would always become irritated when she got really emotional and she would just say, Gina, you are such a drama queen. 
Well, Gina heard this message. You feel things too deeply. There's something wrong with you. And so all of her adult life, she's worked to diminish her emotions. In fact, she often will apologize for, for having a strong emotion. I know this is bothersome to you. She'll tell her husband, but you know, I'm so sorry. I know I'm frustrating you right now. So both the baseball player and Gina, they carry damaged imprints and they've learned to hide and, and avoid vulnerability. They don't seek relief through relationships. They'll usually go to other things. In fact, addictions are things, you know, shopping or prescription drugs or video games or whatever that you start to run to because I I really don't know what to do here. Laura and I entered marriage wanting to do our best and succeed. We just didn't know what the problems were. And, you know, we we found out we didn't know anything about feelings. That helped a lot. But the ability to console and bring relief to your spouse when he or she is emotionally upset and agitated, it's foundational to a great marriage, to a close marriage. And the truth is, most of us, we don't even know how to start right now. We're just like, "Ah, you're freaking me out right now. Well, for the 99% of you who are struggling with this in the workshop, we wanna first help you to identify your problematic imprint. We can't do that today. And your love style. And then we'll give you the tools to create a new imprint. Put that up on the screen again, what they can text to, to go to the workshop. It's free, okay? So it's not like I'm trying to sell a workshop to you. I'm telling you, this is gonna help you tremendously. There's another principle out of the Bible, straight from the Bible, that's super helpful. And let me just read you 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and following again. Start from the beginning of that again, guys. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary, notice fragmentary, and incomplete. But but when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial, notice partial, will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. When I grew up, I put away childish things. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then when the time of perfection comes, we'll see reality face to face. Now I know in part, notice that, just in fragments. But then I will know fully, just as I've been fully known by God. Internal family systems tells us that when something painful trauma happens to us as a child, a part of our soul might become emotionally stuck at that stage of development, which might be why so many of us as adults become angry and and start to act like young children when we get into conflict. I was counseling a couple not too long ago and it was like, two 10-year-olds on the couch across from me when they got in the middle of this big fight. I mean, seriously, I was waiting for them to say, I am rubber and you are glue. What you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Or I know you are, but what am I, right? When we're hurt or wounded, a fragment of our identity, our soul becomes stuck at that point in memory. And that, that fragment 
is a, a part of the authentic original person we were, but it stays. And most of them are on the, are, are on the right side of our brain. So the right side of your brain can't tell time. Did you know that? If you lost the left, you wouldn't be able to tell time. You wouldn't understand time. So those fragments are stuck. Sometimes they even almost become like encapsulated, it seems like, with dissociation and other things. Um, and, and so they're stuck there at that age of development. And they have the same belief system that you had at that time. And it's almost like internal family systems calls them alters, like alternate personalities. It doesn't mean that you have multiple personality disorders. So, you know, that would be some, that would be extreme after, you know, a lifetime of horrific abuse. Sometimes people have multiple personalities. This is like little parts of you, but they have their own little personality. That's what's so interesting about it. And in our, in our imagination, we can kind of give them that personality and then we can see them more clearly. Some of you, you thought that little part of you, you thought it was the devil all this time, right? Or some of you, you just ignore it. Or some of you just give in to it. Ladies, this is why when it comes to sex talk, your husband becomes a middle school boy. I don't know why, but that's, you know, a lot of you are going like, that is not attractive, you know? But we do it anyway. I don't know why. When we're wounded emotionally, a part of our soul is crippled. And we develop all these defenses and coping mechanisms to overcome the crippling part of the soul. Now, the thing about that, God made us that way. Did you know that? He made us so that we could survive trauma as children. He knew that this world would be broken. He didn't create it to be broken, but he gave us, he said, mankind, you have dominion, you be in charge. And when he gave it to us, he already knew because he knows all things, we were gonna break it. We were gonna have a broken world and we do. And so trauma comes from us, our sin as the human race in a broken world. And sinful people are going to produce trauma in your life, especially the stronger to the weaker in this world of ours. So, but these fragments, they're there to protect you. In fact, they did. They helped you like sometimes even separate out. If there was like a whole lot of trauma, abuse, let's just say sexual abuse as a child, sometimes those parts separated out and one part took the abuse and your everyday going to school part couldn't even really hardly remember it. And you could just keep functioning. And so you had all these little parts. Now what I've discovered in, in a deep dive into this and talking to many, many people and other uh, psychologists have, have found this out. Almost all of us have at least one fragmented part, a soul fragment. But if you've been abused or you had some, uh, quite a bit of abuse growing up, a really difficult childhood, you might have, very, you might have a lot of them. And the goal is to integrate those. In fact, it's interesting because see the Bible would call these fragments, soul fragments or ways. Listen to what the Bible tells us to do to find these. Pray a prayer. Here's what it is. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Investigate me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my troubled thoughts and see if there is any way 
literally in the Hebrew, manner or part in me that causes pain or comes from sorrow and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me read it to you in another version. It says, see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Here it is out of the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And see if there be any derek otseb, torturous, crooked road in me and lead me in the derek olam, the way everlasting. Ministry to fractured parts was part of Jesus' mission statement. Did you know that? See, this is stuff that a lot of us, we've never understood, but let me just read you from Luke 4. Jesus has come back to Nazareth. He's getting ready to start his ministry and he stands up in the synagogue and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and he looks down through the scroll and he finds this part and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted to proclaim release to the captives recovery of sight to the blind to deliver those who are crushed to proclaim the favorable year of the lord jesus closed the book gave it back to the attendant and sat down the eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him and he said today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing now it's interesting because when he read broken hearted in the Hebrew that is the word shabar which means to be shattered into many fragments and then he says my job is to heal but the word heal there means to bind it back together and make it whole again and he's the only one who ever claimed to really be able to do this so that's why it's important that we get him to do it so We've all been shattered into fractured parts. And like I said, everyone I know, I found to have at least one of those. God made us that way. Dissociation and fragmentation enable us to survive childhood trauma. And what the Bible would say and and what actually this new psychology would say is that we need to love our Fragmented parts, our alters is what internal family systems theory calls them because they've carried a burden that you could not and they've carried it for years. In fact, when you recognize them, thank them for a job well done and then introduce them to Jesus because he's thankful for them. He created you to be that way and he loves them so much and he's happy they're there and he wants to integrate them back into you in a really strong way. I I realized I was dealing with a a deep woundedness and a a seriously fractured part of myself. And I I realized to find healing, I wasn't gonna be able to just decide one day, well, Mark, come on, just get over it. You can do this, get over it. Or, you know, go to church and say, will you pray for me? And someone goes, you're healed now. But I wasn't healed, right? And... I realized a little touch from the Lord on the surface wasn't enough. I was going to need to open up long blocked off areas of my heart and allow him to work progressively in those places. When trauma happens and parts are created, one of their jobs is to keep you safe. So they hang out under the surface 
You know what they're looking for? Anything that resembles your original trauma, even if it's not even close. And when you get close to someone else, if you are betrayed by someone that was close to you, even that it can cause some of these original emotions to come to the surface. You go into fight or flight mode. You might shut down, dissociate, or you might get really aggressive. It's so that you'll come out of this trauma in one piece, unlike last time where you fragmented. But those survival mechanisms are for children. That's again what Paul is saying. When I became an adult, I put away those things. Yeah, they helped me survive. Congratulations, I would say to every single one of you in this room and watching online, you're a survivor. But it's time to put those away. They are not doing your marriage any good at all. And we've got to learn some different ways to cope. I heard just this week, that 80% of women have been betrayed sexually by someone they trusted deeply by the time they were 18. That's an overwhelming figure to me. 80% of women in the United States have been betrayed sexually by someone that they trusted deeply by the time they were 18. Sometimes it was a family member. Sometimes it was a, a neighbor or an acquaintance. Sometimes it was a boyfriend with date rape. So we have this stuff going on, if we're honest. So where do we start? What do I do? Mark, the workshop's two weeks away. I've already signed up, but I can't. I mean, what am I gonna do right now? Well, here's what I want you to do. These are, this is your homework up until the workshop starts, okay? So you got two weeks. The first thing I want you to do, and you might wanna just, you know, get a pen and write this on your arm or something, guys. I don't know, but... Notice trigger points, that's the first thing. Notice trigger points. Feelings that are too strong for the situation at hand or the argument. You're thinking in this argument with my husband or my wife, I should be at about a three, but I'm at an 11. What is up with that? And every time we get into the same argument, I escalate to 11. Either I totally shut down and flood, that's what guys do with adrenaline, when your guy says, honey, I need to take a step back and, and, and just a moment and don't chase him in the other room. He is flooded, okay? But that's why you're flooding. Something is triggering you. So I had a teenage trigger. I was hurt deeply by a girlfriend as a, as a teenager. And so sometimes what I realized, I'm arguing with Laura and it doesn't help to have ADHD because when you have ADHD, your little executive function part or your adult part is not as strong. And so I have this little teenage part that jumps right in there. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, she's gonna hurt you. You better back off. You better make sure there's distance. You better, you know, this is gonna be a, uh, she's gonna betray. Laura's been the most loyal person I've ever known, but we would get in these major fights and it, was my 19-year-old part that was talking, not me. I just let it just come in. I, I didn't even know it. See, now I, I recognize it. And, and, and so Laura named that little 19, 18, 19-year-old part booger. Uh, so, so now I just talk to it. Like, I mean, you know, you can talk to your parts. 
You know, like, you're getting weird here, pastor. No, but you can. I, you know what I do? I say, I so appreciate you, booger, trying to keep me and Olara from hurting me. But I'm not a kid anymore. I'm an adult now. Laura and I love each other. We've worked on this for a long time. I, I've got it. You could take a step back. In fact, it'd be great if you just want to integrate into me. He hadn't done that yet. So you might want to keep a journal. And over these next couple of weeks, just write down every time you're triggered. Might be at work, might be at home. Definitely going to be with the kids, right? So look at that. And then number two, believe that God longs to heal your broken heart. Believe that he longs to do that. Jesus said, I came to heal your fragmented self, your soul. All those soul fragments. If you'll let me, I'm gonna put them all back together and I'm gonna use your primary relationships to do that. That's an amazing thing. So the biggest thing is to allow yourself to hope again. Hope again. It, it really could be different this time. See, I'm not giving you an easy pop psychology formula or, or some kind of self-help, you know, little Hey, why don't you just say, darn it, everybody likes me as you look in the mirror, you know, or something. No, I'm saying, this is gonna take a lot of work, but this is the answer. Hard work over time with God involved. So how do we feel hope? We have to let Jesus himself, the father himself minister to us. And we have to remember how much he loves us. So I've asked the band if they will come out. Jess is gonna sing a song over you that's directly from Jesus, directly from our father. And while she does that, I want you to also take communion. You have the little bread and cup there. The reason why we take communion is to remember how much he loved us. You remember how much he loved us? This much. And they put the nails in his hands and in his feet. He said, I love you with all that I am. And the reason why I came and died for you, I came to heal your broken heart. I came to heal your fragmented soul. And as he begins to do that, as he begins to heal us, as we begin to see those old patterns and our old dance steps over these next few weeks, I wanna tell you, if you will put into practice what Laura and I have put into practice, I don't know anyone that has a relationship like we do now. And it has been excruciating work, but there is a sweetness to it that changes everything about life, the world, everything. And it's Laura and me and our father together. And this healing just keeps taking place. And I'm still in process and so is she. One of the ways you recognize those little hearts is a lot of them are really tired, really, really tired. They've been holding vigilance for a long time. One 50 something year old woman who had a seven year old part. Finally, the little part kind of spoke to her. You can hear it if you start to listen. And she said, I am so tired. She was abused sexually at that age. I'm so tired. I never sleep, I have to stay on watch all the time and she was able to say 
I'm an adult now. I can watch out for you. I can watch out for us. It's like, God, heal us. And she took it to Jesus and God began to integrate that. So listen to this song, take communion, and let's just allow God to just speak to us. I love you. At the end, she's going to say, you're almost home. Don't quit now. And I want you to take that to heart, okay? Don't quit now. Sing over us, Jess.
Let me pray over you. Father, we need your hope. I have felt for some weeks leading up to this that there's gonna be such a miraculous healing of our primary relationships, marriages, our parenting. I know that you wanna do this. I know that you've been longing to do this. I know that the information today might've thrown some people because it's the first time they've heard it, but God, I've watched your truth come to pass in my own marriage, in my own life. And I want it for each and every person within the sound of my voice. So I say, come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us, in us, through us, Jesus came to heal broken, fragmented hearts. We offer ours up to you. Jesus, we love you in your precious name.